Hi everyone, and here here. In season three of my audiobook podcast, I'm reading you my latest fiction story, Bigger Than Ourselves. After the chapter, stay tuned for a mini blogcast, a blog reflection I'll read into the episode reflecting on this chapter a bit further. The stories from all three seasons are available in a new paperback compilation called Go Your Way, available now on Amazon. For more info on this compilation, a link to buy, and links to my other writing, head to my link tree, linktr.ee slash danmasterton. That's l-i-n-k-t-r dot e-e slash danmasterton. Or find me on Instagram and Twitter at thisladdan. All right, time to meet Andrew. Here's chapter six. The golden white of Christ the King gave way to the ubiquitous purple. That was the time for crowning the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, and now this is the time of subdued waiting and preparation. As the little ones obsessed over wish lists and Christmas lights, the church put on its purple robes to try to call people to a contemplative reset. At times this meant setting a giving tree, where families could at least incorporate gifts for less fortunate families into their shopping sprees, and hosting a parish bazaar with only free and fair trade goods and handiwork by local folks. In other moments, this meant downshifting from acclamations of Christ the King to gentler chants and an extended penitential rite. And, as with Lent, it meant all manner of little prayer books, reflection series on websites and social media, and a host of campaigns geared towards snapping the lay masses out of their spiritual torpor. To what extent it was effective or worthwhile, few if any knew. But this year, Father Andrew would take his swing at it. Imagine a man of distinct, fairly unusual handsomeness. Give him short hair, sharp, almost piercing blue eyes, and a bit more height than you might guess. Perhaps imagine a taller Killian Murphy, with youth and animation, almost like the cunning and charisma of Scarecrow in Batman Begins, but without the nefarious, manipulative undertones. Though, it must be admitted, Father Andrew did have his mind on more than what he was presently doing as St. Brendan's associate pastor. Like many priests, especially many young ones, he wanted to become a pastor. Andrew had gone from Catholic high school to Marquette University to diocesan formation to diaconate and priestly ordination on a nonstop track, donning the big chasuble and consecrating his first Eucharist just shy of 30 years of age. He readily took his first assignment at the sizable St. John Parish, known for its unheard of three-priest team, and generally considered a last stop for up-and-coming priests to complete their mentorship and training ahead of becoming pastors. After two years, he was moved, not to a parish of his own, but to the associate position at St. Brendan. By any objective account, this was a solid posting. In this context, it may have been a bit unexpected. For the most part, Andrew shook it off in short order and saw the good and the joy of this place he joined. It was quieter and smaller than St. John, though essentially every parish is, and left more room for his creativity and dynamism to grow. He had spent the first year focused on ho-hum ministry, receiving and discharging his schedule as assigned by Father Joseph. He supervised with laissez-faire trust the Pastoral Parish Life Commission and soaked in the work of the parish council. As usual, the time on the job filled itself out with hospital and home visits and sick calls, pop-ins to youth nights and religious ed classrooms, sacramental help at local schools and reconciliation services, and more. He was out and about enough that he was mostly a household name among the local Catholics, not least for his steadiness and his relative youth. Now approaching his second advent at St. Brendan, he certainly hadn't given up his dreams of leadership, and wondered when and how the appointment to lead a parish might come his way. 
and he sought to make clear his worthiness for the next post by the work he'd do right where he was. Andrew got the idea in his head that he could and would be the voice of Advent for the parish, for local Catholics, and perhaps even for a generation of disaffected or unengaged young people online. He secured YouTube and Instagram handles at It's Father Andrew, and adjusted his Facebook page, set to private except for certain post settings, to match. He even read a few articles so that he could set up a podcast hosting feed and convert his videos to audio only for listeners to find and utilize. He would seize a mantle and grab hold of a higher profile. His goal was to pre-preach and record a short version of the full homily he had prepared for each Sunday of Advent. He'd just use different settings on campus. He'd post it on Saturday afternoon on all these channels. Then each day he'd add a one-minute tack-on homily, grabbing some of the threads from his weekend message and challenging folks to keep at these reflections and actions and continue working toward Christmas. He'd made some teaser allusions to his plan at Christ the King Masses and wrote a bulletin article to the same effect, pointing people to these avenues for their Advent reflections. On the Friday before Advent began, Father Andrew let himself into the unlocked church. He grabbed a music stand from the music minister's area and set it in front of the sanctuary steps. Andrew opened his phone to selfie mode and slid over into video to see the live look of himself on the stand. He adjusted the angle until it lined up a spot on the steps where the ambo, its purple banner, and the statue of the Holy Family were all in frame. He tapped the big red button to record and backpedaled to sit down on the steps. The carefully framed setting was a church prepared for Advent. The vibe was a coach offering a pep talk to a team in a tied game. Modern life offers no shortage of opportunities to delay or decline important things. Work-life balance is challenging and not generously honored by many employers, so you could easily overwork yourself and miss time with family and friends or for prayer. Entertainment possibilities are endless, not just the in-person thrills of a live concert, a professional sporting event, or even a night at the movies, but also the in-home possibilities of movie TV and music streaming services and home theater-style high-definition picture and immersive sound. Social media and smart technology also give us tons of ways to stay connected with a wide range of family and friends, and even many we have no other connection to. From news feeds to real scrolls to a DM inbox on every platform, all of this can bring us enjoyment in our leisure time, but it can also crowd out integral, central things. We must be careful to maintain reasonable limits on the hours we work and the contact and reachability we maintain for our jobs. Seeking to have reasonable understandings with our supervisors and colleagues about boundaries, we should enjoy the drama and action and comedy and commentary of good art, from music to movies to TV to theater to books. But we must remain mindful of obsession, materialistic attachments, and selfishness. Our social channels create an outlet for creativity and connectivity, but we ought to be more aware that they can rarely function comprehensively and aren't really meant to. It's the face-to-face -face visits and conversation and experiences that refuel and sustain relationships, with social channels helping us maintain our connections in between or in addition. At the core of our lives must be our foundational relationships, our time, our attention, our love, our focus on core people, our spouses, our children, our parents, our close friends. Our choice of leisure and entertainment can help us relax and help us engage our creative and reflective muscles. Sometimes, especially introverts, need to engage in all this on their own. But most of the time, these avenues are opportunities to share with others, to watch something together, to discuss a story and conversation, to attend an event as a shared experience and a memory to be gained. St. Paul tells the Romans, It is the hour now for you to awake from sleep. And Jesus echoes, Stay awake and be prepared. 
The wisdom of Advent is that God isn't trying to sneak up on us. Through the Spirit in the Church, God offers us this spiritual shape of Advent, a time to intentionally embrace a more subdued worship, to be a bit quieter and introspective, and to reflect on the coming of Christ. The Gospel guidance isn't some opaque riddle about a calculation of time. Rather, it's a clear indication that this moment, now, is the appropriate time to engage and prepare. And I would say, it's not about selling everything you own and becoming an ascetic hermit in the woods, though maybe some of us could do that well. I'd say it's about leaning into the simple practices of Advent. It's engaging in the dimmer, candlelit spirituality. It's pouring oneself into the penitential rite and Kyrie as we begin each Mass. It's dwelling in the music of Advent and letting it bring you to reflective places. And it's using those four weeks, not just to stress over shopping lists, cooking and baking furies, and wrapping gifts, but to prepare to walk in the light of the Lord. That way, when we flick the lights all the way on, when we blare the trumpets, when we shout the hymns of glory, you will have spiritually reached the place that Advent spiritually sought to bring you, closeness with the Christ who has come and who is come. Andrew took a beat, curled a little partial smile, and then rose to end the recording. He trimmed down the start and finished to bookend the video cleanly. He was a pretty confident speaker and he didn't feel the need to rewatch or edit it, not that he knew how anyway. Andrew headed back to his office to pull the video onto his computer and get it posted for the people. One week later, Andrew again took a music stand from the music ministry. He carried it to the back of the middle aisle in the church. This time he squared his camera to a seat at the end of the pew with some stained glass on the far side wall rising in the background. He went to sit down in frame, this time reclined a bit, leaning back with an arm over the pew back. Andrew let out an exhale as he looked toward the view of himself on the screen. The hop in his step had flattened. The propulsive enthusiasm to preach the good news had begun to tail off. He turned his chin toward the altar, slowly scanning through the familiar aspects of the sanctuary, visually seeking an injection of zeal. He chomped on his lower lip for a beat and then reached back for his phone, taking it off the stand for the moment. Try as he might, he could not resist reviewing the analytics on his first week. He genuinely wanted to evangelize and engage folks with earnestness and humility, edifying on its own terms. Yet the engagement metrics were irresistible, and frankly, a potentially helpful indicator of what content or presentation was perhaps more attractive. However, when the numbers are lower, not only do small sample sizes indicate little to nothing, but they can also demoralize content producers and hurt morale. Ultimately, Andy may have been producing content, but he shouldn't have overfancied himself a content producer. Nonetheless, the gravitational pull of that tantalizing data was too much to resist, and as some flat-footedness slowed the start of his second homily, the allure won out. He tapped through his apps to his social insights, a familiar pathway he had trod too many times in the past seven days, leading to disappointment again and again. The numbers still weren't great. The parish formally had almost 2,000 registered families. Annual mass headcounts put their weekend attendance somewhere in the 2,500 people range. The parish had never ventured into social media, so outside of individuals' Facebook pages or occasional Instagram posts from staff members or teens, there wasn't much sense of how online the average massgoers were. At its father Andrew only had 72 followers on Instagram and seven subscribers on YouTube, where his first video had 23 views. He didn't even bother looking at the podcast streams. His first big homily from the first Sunday of Advent had a dozen likes on Instagram, but no sends or saves. He was flustered to have reached so few people. What's the deal? 
he blurted aloud to an empty church. Jesus heard him. Jesus did nothing. Andrew rolled his eyes a bit and forced canceled out of the open app. He pulled the selfie video mode back up and reframed in his pew. He sat back against the backrest and took a few half-assed deep breaths. He scanned around the church iconography again, darting about without satisfaction until he just gave up. He did a little shimmy in the pew to settle in and clenched his fists a moment to gather tension before releasing them to soothe out his limbs. None of this did much, and he mostly knew it. The impact of intentional prayer did not come to mind, and he didn't turn to it. He reached forward to tap the red button and launched into his truncated homily. The prep was good. The content was good. His delivery was pained. Andrew pretended it wasn't as bad as he thought. He was a pretty confident speaker, and he didn't feel the need to rewatch it or edit it, not that he knew how anyway. Andrew headed back to his office to pull the video on his computer and get it posted for the people. The numbers would not improve this week or next. He went through the motions for the four full weeks of Advent. Big recordings, little updated posts, dwindled zeal. By Christmas, he had raised a metaphorical white flag. Father Joseph preached the homily at all masses anyway, so there was no need for him to worry about preparing anything. He did his diligent duty, celebrating each of the many Christmas masses. Anyone watching very closely may have noticed him sleepwalking through it a bit here and there. After the final liturgy, he met the pastor in the sacristy as they divested from the Mass. They were going their separate ways for that evening of Christmas Day with their respective families. Dish at the diner? Father Joseph asked his associate. Of course. Meet you downstairs at nine, Father Andrew replied, nodding to the next morning. Father Andrew shot out of the sacristy back to their rectory home, and Father Joseph could sense his associate's urgency to change his scenery. The pastor nodded in silent recognition and finished doing the last of the holy dishes in what was now, from vestibule to nave to sanctuary, a totally empty church. In their first year together, Father Andrew had finished the Christmas gauntlet with a great sigh of relief and joy. I'm the right kind of tired. I'm good tired, he identified to Father Joseph the year before. You did well. It's a special time to share and facilitate for a parish, the veteran pastor replied. Enjoy your night away, celebrate well, let loose a bit, and then let me buy you breakfast in the morning. I won't be cooking, and I imagine you won't be either, and we'll need to eat, Father Joseph advised. We can go and dish over dishes at the diner, Father Andrew chuckled, in that kind of diplomatic humor sure to get an unearned chuckle from a mass congregation. It's a plan. They shook hands into a brief bro hug and then split for the day. An incidental tradition had been born, for in year two, the pastor had then sought to repeat this ritual. Sure enough, at 8.55 a.m. on December 26th of their second year together, Father Andrew walked out of his suite to find his pastor in the parlor. Father Joseph was already prepared for their outing, dressed in casual clothes for the first time in weeks, casually reading the still-delivered hard-copy newspaper as he waited. The pastor lowered his reading to visually confirm Andrew's arrival, tossing the now-folded paper aside as he popped out of the chair. He sensed a mix of things in his colleague, some dutiful fidelity in showing up, as well as some not-so-convincingly masked fatigue and a dash of shaky angst. Father Joseph nodded to him as they headed to the pastor's car to drive the five minutes over to the aptly named diner, Breakfast Food. They pulled up to the small lot outside the no-frills building shaped like a giant little shoebox. The Breakfast Food sign featured a silhouette-type graphic of a mustachioed man. Inside, the signage and menus used the tagline, There's no sadness that can't be cured by breakfast food. Father Joseph tended to agree, and he wondered how Father Andrew might be feeling after. They reached the host stand and were shown to a four-top table, 
where they each took a seat, laying their jackets over the empty chairs' backs. For better or worse, Father Andrew didn't beat around the bush. Well, Joe, I'm frustrated, he laughed. Can you tell? He jokingly half-shouted. He had trudged quietly out the door in deference to the seasonal fatigue they carried, but he knew that he had worn no poker face as the morning unfolded. Father Joseph laughed. I could tell something. What exactly it is, I'll leave it up to you. A smooth busboy zipped in to flip their mugs and deposit their first round of coffee, and then he left just as quickly as he appeared. Ha, well, it seems I've let some half-frustrations add up on me, Andrew acknowledged, crinkling a plastic cup of cream and ripping open the top to prepare his coffee. I got this idea, you know, to get myself out there online and try to do some digital evangelizing, reach new populations, engage our own folks more, and it just, it didn't get anywhere. I set up channels in the right places, I put the good work in to make something I'm proud of, I added follow-up posts to keep the momentum, and people just didn't engage. I'm trying to go where people are and bring our ministry there to them, but it seems like maybe they didn't want it, or they weren't ready for it, or they're too busy with other things and distractions in these channels that leave no room for faith, I don't know, Andrew said, metaphorically throwing his hands up. Andrew took a breath to collect himself. Joe thought about chiming in, but he held tight for a second, which was the right instinct, because Andrew was getting on a roll, and he needed to keep rolling. I have it in my mind that I could and would make a good pastor, but I was placed here, and try as I might, maybe not as well as I should, I can't help looking ahead to each spring and thinking the next summer will be when it happens. I think I have a lot of preaching passion, a lot of desire to work firsthand with a parish council, a curiosity about learning how to fundraise and steer a capital campaign and more. I just don't know how or when it will happen for me. And then, I say this with some hesitation, but you deserve candor. I wonder about your support for me. I mean, not totally, but in some ways. I put myself out there with this digital project and I don't feel like you had any interest in it. This DAS and review is coming down, and I feel like I'm way out of the loop on it. And I feel like I'm keeping good tabs on the youth of our parish and trying to think particularly about priestly and religious vocations, but I don't know that you're committed to it, too. I'm pretty sure a lot of that last bit is unfair. Andrew thought about yammering on, but he felt he needed to yield, at least for an initial response. His pastor took the gap as his moment to break in. Let me start with my apologies. I never meant to make you feel unsupported or left hanging. For leaving you feeling that way, I'm sorry, and I hope you'd accept my apology, Andy. Andy nodded, not wanting to interrupt with a verbose acceptance. Plus, he already felt like he went overboard, extrapolating little inklings into undue allegations. I'll be honest, I knew what you were attempting with your Advent project, and I wanted you to strike out on your own, though I didn't want you to strike out like this, Joe gently joked. Andy half-smiled, not bothered, but wanting to stay focused on topic. Is there anything you'd do differently, looking back on how it went? Well, I'd say, hmm, there's... Andy started to assemble some theories, but he realized Joe probably asked the question having some potential answers in mind himself. What would you have recommended, Andy instead asked. Joe again laughed gently, but straightened up quickly, not wanting his humor to accidentally insult his bruised colleague. Well, for starters, I would have talked to me, and not even for some kind of chief-among-peers, subordinate sort of reason. I'd have talked to me because I've been at this priesthood and pastoral ministry thing for a bit longer, and I might have steered you differently. For Andy's understated good looks and smooth self-confidence, he did have the potential to tread into arrogance or cockiness. Opposite him sat a pastor whose face made no effort to hide its middle age, whose steady demeanor came less from cutting-edge training and more from experience, from the ready teachers of trial and error. 
Andy sunk into his seat ever so slightly, perhaps a physical manifestation of an intangible feeling. He was a tad red-faced at this simple step he had foregone, and a little embarrassed that his quiet ambition may have loudly tipped its hand. Luckily, the waitress visited at that moment, and the need to place orders diluted his potential embarrassment. Andy went for a basic plate of thick French toast. Joe went off-roading a bit. I'm not sure how you'd ring this up, but can I have four eggs over easy and a double order of bacon? Just that, Joe ordered. Joe ordered as they handed the waitress the menus for her and let her split. I'm tempted to ask for all the eggs and bacon they have, but I'll limit myself to that much, Joe laughed, as confident in his breakfast taste as he was in his pastoral acumen. Joe took a hot gulp of coffee as Andy fidgeted a bit self-consciously. Joe just resumed, not unaware of his friend's antsiness, but not wanting to magnify it. Here's the basic lesson when it comes to evangelization. The vast majority of folks who find traction doing what you did have a significant platform. A diocesan-wide position like vocation director, a professorship at a university, or some other more widely visible organization and title. They have recognition among a huge potential audience. So then, even when just a fraction of folks engages, it is a large group that's listening. Occasionally, some can build a platform, but many, if not most, will struggle and fail. You are a diocesan priest at a parish. You don't have a platform for this, and that's kind of by design. Your best pastoral energies and apostolic creativity belong here in the parish, at our ambo, behind our altar, at the side of our parishioners. If it spills over to help more people more widely, that's great. But when you lose sight of your apostolate, you're bound for disjunction, I'm sorry to say. Joe had struck a careful tone. He steered way clear of talking to a peer and colleague as if he were a child. He also wasn't trying to scold him like a jilted parent might. Joe was treating Andy like a good mentor would treat a protege, offering insights and guidance to help him decide and act more wisely in decisions yet to come. Allow me one more tree's worth of low-hanging fruit, and then I do want to press you a bit to hear what's in your heart. There are others who could have helped you. I know a creative process like this can get bogged down and off track with too many cooks in the kitchen, and so you chose the efficient path of self-recording and self-posting. It's pretty understandable. But while that may have been simple and easy, it may have been what left it, and you and your energy, a bit short. We have a youth and young adult minister who's an adept social media networker. We have a youth group that could have gladly been a sounding board to help craft content, optimize packaging, give insights on delivery. And you have a pastor who could help prepare homilies or even co-present content with you and help trumpet its existence to a captive audience. Heck, you could have done more even yourself to bring in your commission members and attempt some collaboration. Joe tapped the brakes now. These were still practical, relevant bits of constructive advice, comments meant to be constructive criticisms that did not get personal. But he really did not want to browbeat anyone. He wanted to recalibrate Andy rather than chastise him. Joe's goal was never to eat his own young. Joe regathered himself. Ultimately, it's an invitation to remember what success looks like. Fidelity, not fame. It could have gone better with a shift of focus and priorities. You could have diligently reflected on the scriptures, prayed carefully for clarity of thought and humility of ministry, and delivered something earnest and authentic, and then the rest would have been less material. It seems you might have gotten skewed from our community and towards some temptation about notoriety or success or something, a greater surrender to diligence over exposure, and a greater invitation to collaboration and local focus. And you probably could do something really solid for our folks. Look, I can't argue with any of that, really, Andy started. He found Joe to be a credible and trustworthy critic, and in humble honesty, 
Andy knew it was all on the mark. This opening comment meant to affirm that understanding, but the tint of frustration gave way to the true emotion underneath it, too. I don't have anything against you personally, and I think we've gotten along pretty solidly at home, at work, at the altar, in the parish. I think we are a functional pair. I just don't know how to square what I hope for in my years to come with where we're at now, where I'm at now, Andy admitted. I struggle more than I should, really, to be present to this moment and this role, and to properly see you as a collaborator and a mentor. I think I intellectually know that I need to take time, to take guidance and criticism, to take some patience and humility, before I should have any expectations of taking charge, but I have some block that prevents me from engaging in the necessary deliberateness of it all. Andy paused, rubbing his temples a bit, then the bridge of his nose, then the length of his full face. He reached for his coffee just as two hot and fresh plates arrived. Joe led the way, passing Andy a place setting to unroll before unsticking the band around his own. Joe threw the napkin across his lap and took hold of the fork and knife. Well, I have a solution to all your challenges, Andy, Joe started. He gestured down at their plates as four egg yolks stared back at him, and Andy poured syrup over top of his freshly butter-slathered French toast. And that solution is breakfast food. Andy chuckled, rolling his eyes in sarcastic annoyance. Joe laughed, shoved a quarter of an egg in his mouth, and picked up a strip of bacon, brandishing it as a talking stick. Here's the truth as I see it. You went from one thing to the next from the time you started thinking about this as a teenager to the time you got assigned here. And even if you were appropriately qualified and appropriately spiritually prepared at each junction, it doesn't mean that it wasn't quick. So now, for the first time, you aren't on a stepping stone where you know that after a certain length of time, you'll simply hop to the next rock. And that has got to be not just jarring, but even potentially demoralizing. I would imagine you can't help but feel like you've failed or fallen short somehow. Andy nodded. He never quite synthesized things so precisely. And once again, he knew his pastor was right on. He opted to keep shoveling chunks of sopping French toast into his mouth while his friend continued. I think my challenge to myself, at least for as long as I'll have you with me here, is to help you try and fail or succeed and grow constructively. And to realize that you don't always have to be growing and developing every waking moment at a blistering linear pace, but rather that you need some emptier time, some fallow space, some less defined context. You can let yourself off the fast track. You may have grown better in your quiet first year here because it may have been the time when you were most present, simply acclimating and doing what there was to be done. Celebrate the mass, teach the children, visit the ill and homebound, and walk with the people. Andy was plowing through his plate, filling his stomach with syrup and bread. Meanwhile, his listening began to refill his heart. He was ready to take a stab at replying, wanting to process by talking out loud, and to create a diversion during which Joe could make a dent in his heap of breakfast food breakfast food. And you know, if I feel inclined toward a new media project and can find the path to do it more collaboratively and groundedly, maybe it's focused more on these humdrum pastoral acts. Maybe focused on the people. I mean, dang, Joe, you're right on. That's got to be where I find the path to becoming a pastor. And I mean that I have to be more of a pastor, and then the title will come someday. Andy reached a mild epiphany right out of the gate. Amen, Joe replied. He stuck a sizable bite, probably half an egg or so, in his mouth and repeated as he chewed, Amen. Andy grabbed his last bite and shoved his plate off to the side. He slurped a pensive gulp of coffee and rested his hands around his warm mug on the grooved logo of the mustache man. 
The bustling busboy returned with a warm-up refill impeccably timed. It's going to be fits and starts, Joe. It's a bit of a wrestling match between the emotion and the intellect. I know how to prep better, prep right, and surrender to the impatient patience. But it's going to be a tenuous balance, and I'm going to mess up plenty more. Just hopefully not this clumsily anymore, Andy exhaled. Just wanted to kind of warn you, but I'll do my best to be charitable and kind to you. I know you always do that for me, with me, especially after this now. Andy was glad his suspicions or doubts of Joe were not strongly held, and never deeply rooted. This conversation was yet another data point proving that frustrations, especially involving another person, need to be talked out, and usually more fully and more urgently than we imagine. Let's bring you more on the inside, Andy, Joe nodded. He took his turn warming himself up with a smooth chug of hot coffee. For starters, you know that Kevin is doing this outreach on behalf of the bishop in this review, das, and process of parishes and institutions. It has to be pastoral and careful, but it still may well involve some serious change when all is said and done, Joe shared with an earnest plainness. We have a decent headcount. We have a sizable church building. But we also have what's, for now, this disused, mostly shuttered school building. And we have two priests, a relative luxury we need to justify continuing to have, especially as das and vocations are just holding steady and not fully replacing our retiring and dying men. I'm not going to handicap anything too much in any direction. I just know how many Catholics it takes to change a light bulb, Joe added, raising his eyebrows. Andy chuckled. Change? He replied. He knew the old truism that Catholics would be more outraged at change than any potential discussion of what the actions of change would actually entail. So there's the back end of that, providing the data, setting up the private discussions for us, for the council, and for the staff, preparing the public discussion sessions for the parish, and then trying to be a public face for something that people hold serious suspicion about. Kevin's not a bad guy, and I don't think I am either, but anyone with realism and self-awareness knows we have to be prepared for a transition of some kind, which sticks the two of us, and you by association, with a sort of skepticism bullseye on us. Understandable, I mean, it's sort of unfair, but with things so charged, with local history and local emotion, you can see how it gets like this. So how do you handle it? What are you feeling and thinking, Andy asked. Generally speaking, you do what's asked of you by the bishop and his team. You try to answer folks' questions with honesty and ask for their patience when time is needed to share a legitimate, complete answer. You try to answer the bishop's team's questions with truthfulness and ask for charity and nuanced understanding when your answers reflect real struggles of the parish. And we better keep praying, individually and together and communally with the parish, and then something will or won't happen, though I think some kind of change is coming down. And then that will kind of be that, Joe concluded. Yeah, I mean, we have to try to have some Ignatian detachment here, right? The Marquette grad commented. It's impossible, but we have to imagine some objective perspective about this. You have to consider what the best thing is for the diocese and the church. But that's not how most local people will think about this. Joe nodded. They each drank some more coffee. Joe grabbed his last strip of bacon and shoved the empty plate away. I have one hunch, though, Andy chimed in. That's school. There's something cooking for that school, Andy said, eyes narrowing. Joe shook him off. I don't know what that could be, but I can't imagine much besides a wrecking ball, he chuckled with a bit of gallows humor. In his mind, he could see the metal ball smashing through the faded paint of the Navigator's logo on the aged brick facade. The other thing I want to share is that... <sighs> Joe sighed. I had to make a referral of one of our volunteers to law enforcement. Joe shook his head. Andy took a deep breath. 
what happened? Well, I don't want to intrude or, you know. Yes, of course. Well, for now, in just brief terms, I thought our Christmas activities were over as you left yesterday. And I finished up in the sacristy. Could have sworn the building was emptied, but I was wrong. One of our altar servers was waiting for a ride in the vestibule. He had come to an earlier mass to celebrate Christmas with his family, but then this young man had returned to serve the last Christmas Day mass, pulled some double duty. He had told me the other servers and some other ministers goodbye rather quickly and headed out, but it turns out his parents were running late and hadn't arrived yet. When I finished with the tidying up back here, I popped out to start turning out lights and locking doors, and I heard some commotion in the vestibule. I've seen plenty in my day, people who are homeless asking after food or money aggressively, folks coming back inside from a parking lot fender bender or what have you, but as I headed that way I saw something I'd never seen. One of our older male hospitality ministers appeared to be forcing himself intimately on the young man. He was trying to grasp our server by the shoulders and sides and bring him in for unwanted closeness. He was angling his chin and head downward as if to make some sort of advance. I shouted out, excuse me, and placed myself between the man and the boy as the man released the child and backed up. I told him to go and sit in the last pew of the church immediately. He was so embarrassed and paralyzed that for some reason he did as I said. Frankly, I'm not sure what I'd have done if he tried to argue or fight or flee. I had my phone in my pocket I called 911 straight away. I stayed near the boy and bounced between talking to the dispatcher and authorities for a moment and starting to triage the situation with our server. Thankfully his parents arrived shortly after that and the policemen weren't far behind. I actually need to visit the station later today to provide additional statements and get proper guidance on my interactions with the police as well as with the diocese. Holy Mary, Mother of God, Joe. Andy was dumbfounded. The thoughts began to race through his head. Who was serving that mass? Which usher did this? How could I have just left and had Joe handle this alone? I'm going to need your help, Andy. A lot of help. When we get home, I want to debrief with you a bit. I wondered if you'd accompany me to the police station for moral support, and then I'd like your help drafting a careful but complete announcement for an e-blast and to share at masses this weekend. I also am going to want to revisit norms about supervision, release of minors following parish activities, screening our ministries volunteers, and probably a thousand other things. Joe's eyes bulged. His world on his face expression endured, but a hard streak of concern was pulsing. He was aware of the enormity of this, but he wasn't freaked or hysterical. Joe just wanted to get his partner up to speed and start responding in all the right and necessary ways. Andy was still reeling, but he was picking up the cues from Joe. Father Joseph was going to protect his flock. He was going to bring justice to the member of it who had erred. He was going to be accountable in communicating, taking blame, and offering apologies for how he was leading the parish and the ways he fell short. Andy recombobulated on the fly as they finished their coffees and headed to the counter to pay. Practically, spiritually, pastorally, Father Andrew was resolved to keep up. He had become newly aware of how much he had to learn and how he could learn from Father Joseph. And Father Andrew wanted to be present to each and every bit. I had my first real pastoral ministry job in 2010. In various ways, for 13 years and counting, I've had opportunities to engage in faith sharing, leadership training, and some mentorship and formation with young people. One interesting question that's come up in many ways amid many trends, largely from my asking, is what's the point or purpose of our technology and social media? 
Young people have a wide range of answers, some praise and some complaints. A small few of them are even Luddites. I'm not one to discourage young people from using the tech and devices and apps. I think that only likely fuels their rebelliousness. Instead, I challenge them to moderation. In shorthand, I like to tell them, social media and technology give us additional ways to communicate, but they also give us a ton of ways to ignore each other. Now, into the 2020s, I'd also add that they create a lot of avenues for sharing and communication, but these avenues often lead us to passivity and disconnection. In other words, we lose the primacy and importance of face-to-face -face relationship building and personal invitation. What's more, I think many, if not most, of us, in some ways, fancy ourselves as being influencers and consultants. It's certainly a temptation I have to grapple with personally. And I think it's an even greater challenge for people who are cooler and more popular than me, who gain followers, likes, shares, and comments with incredible ease. When it comes to our faith and the presence of Christ and the gospel and our desire for right relationship and social justice, I think the church, its institutions, its leaders, and its members need to be present online. The goal should be fidelity and witness, not sensationalism or personal vainglorious success. Much like news media organizations, if they're really to be doing public service and informing people, must provide reliable, timely reporting over sensational or tilted or cheap news while still trying to earn enough eyeballs to remain financially viable. The church and we as Christians need to share an honest, true-to-life perspective and image of our lives of faith if we're to be faithful. The growth of Catholic influencers, personalities, and entrepreneurs is a mixed blessing in my opinion. It certainly raises the profile of our faith when savvy, dynamic folks apply their media gift toward faith-based efforts. But I find the calculus regarding building and maintaining a following, and then also remaining authentic, grounded, and faithful, is dicey to say the least. In chapter 6, Father Andrew falls prey to this allure, seeking to do a new media ministry in what is at least partially good faith, but becoming nonetheless susceptible to the dog-eat-dog -dog world of social media virality. It takes the steady hand, weathered perspective, and insightful voice of a veteran priest to help reset him. Not to tear him down or rip away his ministerial impulse, but to reshape it and set his feet down so the younger priest can just be where your feet are. In a certain sense, I'm sure many of us in ministry would love to become consultants contracted to come in and give our opinions, speakers paid to travel and share our wisdom or facilitate discussions, personalities turned to for a valued and appreciated perspective, I think to an extent it's healthy to want to be those things, to do those things, but the greatest need exists in serving locally, in building relationships with community members and neighbors right in front of you, and taking those next levels of outreach and ministry more gently as they spring forth from this local focus. As always, the call is not to financial success or analytical engagement success, but to ministerial fidelity. At our best, lay ministers, are John the Baptist pointing to Christ, companions on the road to Emmaus contemplating Christ and breaking bread, and apostles witnessing to Christ and bringing that gospel as disciples to others by our words and our actions. Instrumentals for this podcast were composed and performed by Jason Pham.